1: Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. The path to lifelong fitness and wellness travels through the lungs. From relatively mild and manageable conditions like asthma to severe conditions like COPD, which is expected to be the third leading cause of death by 2030, pulmonary diseases affect millions of Americans. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, physical therapist Rebecca Crouch discusses the role of physical therapy in treating pulmonary conditions, focusing primarily on COPD, cystic fibrosis, and asthma and offering takeaway tips for cardiovascular and pulmonary health. As always, input from our guest is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with Rebecca Crouch. Rebecca, why don't we start by highlighting what are some common pulmonary conditions?
0: Well, on the outpatient side, I normally see COPD patients or emphysema patients, pulmonary fibrosis patients, cystic fibrosis, and pulmonary hypertension patients. I also see several pre- and post-lung transplant patients in my practice.
1: Now, those conditions, maybe not the lung transplant, but those other conditions, do they have anything in common either with what the symptoms are or how you approach treating them?
0: Absolutely. These patients are typically fairly deconditioned. They have had this lung problem, perhaps acutely developed or it's been with them for a while, and they haven't been feeling very well, so they're not as active as they would normally be. As a result, they develop muscle weakness, they are deconditioned, and they have quite a bit of shortness of breath. And those are the primary problems that we deal with in the rehabilitation of these patients.
1: So I don't know if it's easiest to pick a condition like, say, COPD or not, but if somebody comes to you with this condition, where does the evaluation start, and then what is the treatment, really?
0: Well, we do evaluate all of our patients individually. So they all get a physical therapy evaluation where we look at their muscle strength, their range of motion, their posture, their balance. We assess their cardiopulmonary status, such as listening to their lungs and checking their breathing pattern. We typically do some testing as well. We do a six-minute walk test before we begin treatment. And that's part of our evaluation. And then with the treatment, we focus on the typical physical therapy treatment sessions with muscle strengthening, making sure their posture and balance is worked on. We look at their range of motion. And then we work from a cardiopulmonary as well as a physical therapy perspective with these patient diagnoses.
1: Let's go back to the examination phase, that six-minute walk test for somebody who hasn't had one. What, What does that entail and what are you looking for there?
0: The six-minute walk test gives us a very good indication of how their physiological responses to exercise. For example, we typically monitor their oxygen saturation, their heart rate, their blood pressure, their perceived exertion at the beginning of the test and at the end of the test. We can determine whether or not this patient is going to need supplemental oxygen with activity, which is very important for the physical therapist to know because we're the ones who are going to be having that patient become active and become progressively more active as they go through the treatment program.
1: So is there a chicken and the egg here in terms of, you know, you you mentioned the people who have conditions generally have muscle weakness. Does it tend to be the pulmonary condition that makes exercise and physical activity difficult and it slows down their ability to improve their pulmonary health, or does it go the other way?
0: Well, that's a very good point. I think that many of these patients get caught into a downward spiral where they develop the pulmonary disease which makes them more shorter breath and then when they become active, they get even more shorter breath which discourages them from becoming active or staying active and that leads to the big condition state of their muscles in their body which then promotes more shortness of breath with activity and so you can see how that spiral just goes out of control in a downward motion.
1: Absolutely. I can understand if I'm the person with the condition realizing I have weakness. If I'm, say, the loved one, are there signs I should be looking out for that somebody might have a pulmonary condition?
0: Absolutely. I think that many of our pulmonary patients, especially our geriatric pulmonary patients, attribute their shortness of breath to getting old. But actually, shortness of breath is a classic sign of a lung disease that is getting progressively worse. So I think to be a little sensitive when their shortness of breath is more than they think it probably should be when performing a certain activity, then I think that is concerning and the family member should encourage their loved one to see their doctor and explain how they're becoming more uncomfortable with the activities that are a normal part of their everyday function.
1: When we're talking about something like COPD, does that tend to affect a certain age group?
0: It is more or less a geriatric disease. COPD has many risk factors, one of the primary ones being smoking, although we certainly have COPD patients who have never smoked. I think that with our current environment and some of the exposures of occupations, there are people who experience these exposures over the years, but because we have such an overabundance of lung tissue, it really doesn't show up until later in life. And so by the time these folks notice an issue or a problem with their breathing, they're oftentimes in their 50-plus, 60-plus years
1: recognizing, of course, that no two patients are the same. And to use your example, some may be a smoker, some weren't. But if somebody has COPD, say, and and they are experiencing shortness of breath, what's realistic if they go into physical therapy? I mean, how much can the person go back to their previous level of health?
0: Right. Well, I think that is a good question because one thing that I always tell my patients is that rehabilitation cannot Repair the damage that's already been done to the internal structure of the lungs. Unfortunately, we really can't change that aspect of the disease. But what we can change is we can change their muscle strengths and instruct and teach the muscles to become more efficient with the resources that they have available. So if their lungs are functioning at a certain percentage, they can use the oxygen that's supplied by the lungs to become more efficient and do the work with less distress. When I say less distress, I mean less fatigue, less shortness of breath. And in the long run, they're able to perform more of their activities of daily living because they aren't as uncomfortable with the shortness of breath and the muscle weakness.
1: And so how do you do that? How do you get somebody to improve their strength and not have that lung damage, which as you said can't go away, be as problematic?
0: Well, I think that we definitely increase their workloads incrementally and very gradually. We try to encourage the patient to partner with us to Make the work challenging, but not too easy, not too hard. I think that's the key to getting the patient to be able to progress, is for them to understand that in order to break out of that vicious cycle, they're going to have to push themselves beyond the point where they're comfortable. However, we don't want it to be so uncomfortable that they absolutely don't want to do the exercise at all. So we continue to progress, make small gains every day, day by day. And over a period of about two weeks, most of my patients will say, gosh, you know, I'm really able to do things a little easier now than I used to be able to. You know, I can walk to the mailbox now and I don't get as short of breath and I don't get as tired. In subtle ways, they begin to see a change, and I think that adds to their motivation tremendously.
1: I'm sure that's a large part of it is just, in some degree, getting confidence, again, that they can do these things.
0: Absolutely. I think shortness of breath causes a lot of fear, and in order to break through that fear, these patients need to realize that, yes, they are going to experience some shortness of breath, but it's not detrimental to them. It's part of getting to where they want to be in terms of their physical activity.
1: So let's flip-flop to the other side of the age spectrum and talk about cystic fibrosis a little bit. Are there any commonalities there in terms of the treatment and the approach, or is the condition distinct enough that it has its own challenges?
0: I think cystic fibrosis has certainly changed over the years in terms of the way we as physical therapists treat these patient. The average lifespan now for cystic fibrosis is in the late thirties, whereas I know when I first began my practice it was in the teens as long as they were expected to survive. So with all the treatments and the medications that are available now, the life expectancy has grown tremendously. And I think we're dealing with cystic fibrosis patients at a much more mature age. Perhaps they are married. Perhaps they even have children. And so this adds another dimension to the psychosocial aspect of treating these patients they aren't kids anymore they're oftentimes young adults
1: are there any other ways that the treatments have changed you mentioned the psychosocial but i mean has the treatment itself changed what you would ask one of those patients to do
0: I don't think so. I think basically we're trying to achieve the same goals. We're trying to increase their muscle strength. We're trying to improve any airway clearance regimen that they have. We found that airway clearance is crucial to keeping these folks Infection free. We have some wonderful antibiotics out on the market now, but as you can imagine, as these individuals become older, they also become somewhat resistant to these antibiotics that they've had all of their life. So we have to be vigilant about airway clearance and exercise and physical activity in order to keep these young adults as healthy as possible as long as possible.
1: What are some of the activities that someone might do to promote that airway clearance?
0: Well, there are so many different options on the market now, and I think we as physical therapists need to work with the patient to choose the option that's going to work best for the patient and their family. Physical therapists were the first discipline in the United States that actually used airway clearance. Back in those days, it was called chest physical therapy, which was clapping on the chest, vibrating the chest, encouraging coughing. And I still think that is a very important treatment technique to keep up with these patients. However, there are other options now. There are also vests that can be used that the patient can put on that vibrate the chest and help to dislodge secretions. That's a treatment that these patients can do on their own. They don't really have to have anyone else helping them. There are also devices that they can exhale through that are called flutter devices or acapella devices that vibrate the airways inside of the lungs, and those also help to dislodge secretions. So there are many different ways now that patients can keep their lungs relatively secretion-free and thereby decrease the incidence of infection.
1: To switch gears a little bit, asthma, another popular condition, what's the physical therapist's role in helping a patient manage that?
0: Well, I think with asthma, I think the basic principle there is that these folks can be almost completely normal when they are in an asthmatic uh, remission. However, when they are in an exacerbation, they can be very, very ill. So I think that the PT role with asthmatics is one of prevention and wellness. We can work with these patients to get them on a good maintenance exercise program, and we can do a lot of education to help them utilize their medications and their exercise to maintain the wellness part of their life.
1: You mentioned prevention. Does that work for other pulmonary conditions? You also referred way back to smoking with COPD. To avoid pulmonary problems in the first place, what do we need to do?
0: Well, we absolutely need to discourage smoking and the other part that we emphasize for our patients is not to be around the others who are smoking. This sometimes becomes difficult for the patient because perhaps they live in a home where their spouse smokes or perhaps a cystic fibrosis patient lives in a home where their parents smoke. This becomes a little bit difficult, but we need to work with the patient and the families to emphasize the importance of the pulmonary patient being in a smoke-free environment. I think, as well, we need to emphasize that they need to avoid any kinds of other pollutants, like being around harsh chemicals, or being around areas of sandy, or perhaps other types of hobbies, like I can think of woodworking that would keep them susceptible to these pollutants into their lungs.
1: Is there anything beyond that that someone can do to improve their pulmonary strength or at that point are we just talking about being in a good cardiovascular condition? Are those two things different or is it the same?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know that we think about our breathing very much until we have a problem. So I think that once we have an intervention with a patient. We want to teach them how to breathe properly again. I point out to my patients that when we're all first born, we breathe absolutely perfectly. We use our diaphragm muscle perfectly. But it's not until we become older that we develop sort of bad breathing habits. So breathing is not something that necessarily broken. It's just that we have to relearn to do it in a different way. And when we learn that, when we relearn that, I think that it does help in a preventative sense, and it does help the patient to remain more comfortable when they are exerting themselves with exercise.
1: So what is a bad breathing habit? Because I'm terrified I'm doing it right now.
0: (laughs) Well, one problem is that as we all get older, we begin to develop posture habits. For example, we tend to slump our shoulders. We have our head that sort of hangs out forward. We may have our shoulders in a rounded position and a sort of a kyphotic or flexed thoracic area. And those are the kinds of postures that really don't do our breathing any favors. So one thing that we do is we try to correct those postures first And then we focus on reintroducing the patient to their breathing muscles, in particular their diaphragm muscle, which is the major breathing muscle. And because it's such a deep, internal muscle, we don't ever really think of it. However, we can retrain the diaphragm. We can make it stronger. We can also get it to work in a more coordinated fashion. So those are the kinds of things that we would work on with the patient to reintroduce them to proper breathing patterns.
1: And what's one way that you could strengthen your diaphragm?
0: Well, one way is that we teach our patients to begin In a lying down position with their knees bent and we also ask them to put their hands on their tummy and close their eyes because I think diaphragmatic movement and action is more of a, an unconscious effort rather than really trying to make it happen. We have to almost imagine it happening. And then our body relearns the process. But if you put your hands on your tummy, breathing in through your nose, as your diaphragm descends, your tummy moves upward. And then as you exhale, your diaphragm goes back up into a domed position and your tummy descends down. And so that's one of the first ways we start to teach patients is for them to just feel their diaphragm movement indirectly and imagine themselves filling up their lungs with air and then emptying their lungs of that air.
1: Before we go, let's talk about something that's a little bit more invasive and those lung transplants. You said that physical therapy has a role both before surgery and afterward. Take me through that.
0: Well, as you might imagine, a pulmonary patient that needs a lung transplant is a very, very ill patient. However, what we found is that we know their lungs are not able to function because they're at very low levels. However, the rest of their body is workable. We can improve their muscle strength. And that's very important to do prior to surgery because once they undergo this surgery, it's very important for them to be able to get up out of bed, the whole idea of early mobility after surgery becomes crucial. If these patients have the leg muscle strength and the stamina and the balance and the trunk muscle strength to get up and start moving again, then the whole process of the lung transplant tends to fall into place. There's less pneumonias, there are better hemodynamics of the blood pressure and the blood flow and less incidence of developing infection and they absolutely get out of the hospital faster. So the preoperative rehab is crucial to the success of the transplant process itself. And then postoperatively, of course, They have these brand-new lungs that have all this tremendous capacity, but they're still stuck in a body that was only able to function at the preoperative level. So postoperatively, we have to bring their body function up to what their lungs can supply. And so that's the rationale for the post-op therapy and rehab.
1: How long does it take somebody to recover from that?
0: Well, it depends. And that means that if they get the transplant and everything goes really well in the hospital, there are no major complications. They can usually get out of the hospital within five to seven days, which is pretty remarkable.
1: Absolutely. So going back, you were talking about basically in the the preoperative phase, you're really looking at the whole patient and imagining what their problems are going to be post-surgery to basically get them ready to function on a general basis, not just on a pulmonary basis.
0: Exactly. We need their body to be able to respond to what these new lungs can bring to them and not be totally devastated by the illness of the old lungs. We found that if we can gradually move these folks through some exercise before surgery and regain some of that muscle tone in their arms and legs and trunk, that it's much, much easier for them after surgery once they have this increased lung capacity. And the muscles are a little bit ahead of the game as well.
1: So you've mentioned several of them, but let's just highlight a few before we go. Give me the two or three most important things for good pulmonary health.
0: Good pulmonary health revolves around no smoking and trying to keep oneself in good physical condition. Excellent. Rebecca
1: Crouch, thank you very much. You're welcome. If you'd like more information on physical therapist management of COPD or would like to find a physical therapist near you, go to MoveForwardPT.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening to Move Forward Radio.
0: Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at MoveForwardPT.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.